Stephanie, welcome to uh, the Great Southern Brain Farts Talking the Talk podcast. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice to finally talk to you. How you been? I'm doing well. Um, just relaxing today with the family, but um, yep. Overall, I'm always keeping busy. You, you know me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You and I pretty much, you know, run the same operations. Uh, so I know what it's like to right. constantly be rolling like that. You know, I mean, gosh, I mean, you are a renaissance metal woman i mean you are you know you have infernal tv you're an author and i'm just who just put out an incredible book with which i just uh i'm like halfway through it and i'm loving it (laughs) and definitely want to kind of talk about all that but you know one of the things i like to do is i like to go back to the beginning so like you know if we had to get into the delorean time machine and go back to a young stephanie when did you discover metal so I was nine years old or some, something along those lines. Um, now, this was during the height of the new metal movement. Uh, I think Slipknot had just released Iowa. I know that uh, they had already released their first album. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, it was probably Iowa. It was around the time they released that album. And uh, my brother found Slipknot somehow, and he fell in love with the band. <clears throat> And he tried getting me into Slipknot. And at first I was like, this is stupid. I don't like this. And then, and I'll never forget how I finally got to liking them. Is he kept playing the song Wait and Bleed over and over and over again. And finally, I it just stuck on to me somehow. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then that's also when my brother and I also discovered Korn. Because Korn was... Um, uh, gaining a lot of momentum during that period as well, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, from then it's just uh, I just kept digging and digging into metal. I discovered all the classics, Maiden, Priest. Um, I also discovered uh, Pantera. That was a big milestone um, for me as well because mm-hmm. uh, because Pantera was heavier than what I was listening to at the time. So you know, being a little like. 12 year old thinking walk was like the most badass song I've ever heard and uh, <laughs> yeah. eventually that led me into befriending uh, someone from my high school and he um, cause I had you know, you know like I was like kind of listening to this kind of generic metal stuff and he was like oh have you heard of this band Death and I was like uh no who, who are they and uh, he showed me death, and I just from there on, I was like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my whole entire life." And now you know, I have a very unhealthy obsession with that. <laughs> I have them tattooed the rest of my life. <laughs> I was about to say, being a friend of yours for a little while now on Facebook, I I know your obsession with that band. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Obsession. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting to me too is that because um, obviously I'm older than you, and whenever I hear somebody talk about you know they got into metal when they were nine when Iowa by Slipknot came out, I go, oh my god, I'm so fucking old. You know what I mean? But then like, yeah. what, But what's interesting to me is that you know sometimes I find myself going into like that kind of crotchety old metal guy like that but then like you know I'm reminded by a good friend of mine who was telling me you know he goes when I was growing up 
the newest Metallica album was Load. He goes, so that's like my first experience to Metallica. He said, your first experience to Metallica was Ride the Lightning. He was like, so I had to go so far back, you know? And so, you know, so like with that being said and and being, you know, involved, you know, very involved in the metal scene do you ever kind of run into those kind of old elitist metal guys and if you or metal oh, people and how do you deal with it you know so i uh, what i've learned is i just have to stand my ground you know i think a lot of those elitists honestly i don't think they mean i mean well i think there are those who mean to be pieces of shit and uh, want to put you down. I, but I think the vast majority of them, they don't really want to, they don't mean to come off like that. They're just feeding their opinion, but their opinion is very not, uh, what's the term? Um, it's, you know, um, like it's not one that I really wanted to hear, you know? Like that kind of judgmental maybe? Yeah, and so that's when I've learned, you know, I can't really be a bitch or treat them like shit for that reason, but I just want to stand my ground. Like, I guess using corn as a good example, uh, my roommate and I were uh, having just a conversation about bands, and uh, somehow corn got mentioned, and my roommate never, because uh, she's a little older than me, too, and she never really cared for the new metal thing. And so, I right. mean, even to this, though, know, I'm you know, listening to Vomitory and, uh, and all that, you know, some um, Cannibal Corpse and uh, Pestilence and uh, all the old school death metal, even some like modern tech death, you know, listening to all those bands more than anything. But I still have a soft spot for new metal. I still listen to Corn and Slipknot, you know, because that, that's, that's what got me into metal. And so my uh, roommate, uh, was, she never really was a big fan and she was telling me she was like oh I think corn sounds so whiny and so I just told her the same thing I was like look <laughs> you know this is what got me into metal I, that's why I will always love corn actually I was just listening to the Life is Peachy album recently and I was like man this is such a great album <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah and, and she was like okay fair enough and I think she kind of like you know like realized wait like, so it's like 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 that's just the thing it's like you have to see in your ground but you also kind of have to give a little bit different insight as to why you know maybe you like something that somebody else doesn't like or yada yada because at the end of the day we're not the you know big badass cool guys that we all think we are you know maybe we all like to listen to spice girls and that's just our guilty pleasure which i'm totally speaking about myself by the way i love spice girls i don't give a shit what people say Okay, so do I. I am not kidding you. Oh, oh like, yeah, Spice Girls are, are great. Like, come on, you, you can't hate. You can't hate on that. It's like, listen to the song too much and don't melt. I, I dare you. It's a great song. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I, I seriously, like, I can't tell you how many times, you know, like I've put on that you know that that debut album and listen to like oh, say you'll God. be there and i'm walking around the house going ah giving you everything <laughs> look I, I mean that's the thing is that you know like I, I wrote an article a while back about the about how being unmetal is the most metal thing you can do you know because i always felt like 
there's always these people, you know, and of course it's mostly like a very guy, meathead, misogynistic kind of thing, like like metal or die, da 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 da, you know, and, and you know, ten bucks says yeah. they get into their car and they listen to Credence or something, you know what I mean? And like <laughs> exactly. you know, but like you know, like I'm not afraid to admit that, you know you know, Iron Maiden and Accept and Crocus and all those you know, eighties metal bands are my favorites, but at the same time, like I like Sting. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I like oh, dude, Sting is great. You know, yeah. and like I, you know, yeah. I, I like jazz and stuff like that. So to me, I always told people, I said, you know what? I said, be transparent about what you love because that's what makes you a better person. Like I don't trust. I generally don't trust anyone who says like. I listen to metal 24-7, and I'm going, okay, there's something's wrong with you. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? there really are other great genres of music and everything out there. And um, and you also can hear the similarities between um, different other styles of music and metal, too. Like you mentioned jazz. Like one of my favorite bands right now is Snarky Puppy. And uh, a lot of... Oh, they're awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And a lot of my metal musician friends are very inspired by them. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and I can see why, because if you listen, I mean, I'm not a musician, but I can hear some of the, like the, um, like, like some of the guitar melodies and like, especially some, like the drumming, because don't they have like three drummers or something? Like, it's crazy. But anyway, but like, and like the drumming too, it's like, I can tell that all of those uh, styles are, um, influential to metal bands and, and honestly I think that's good for metal bands to not only be subjected to listening to metal music but to be diverse listen to all other types and styles of music because that's what makes the music good you know that's what makes metal bands more unique is they take everything from other styles the genres music that influence them and they use that towards their music because if they only like for example, if I see this a lot with uh, Tech Death, is that you get the bands that um, only listen to Tech Death, and they're trying to be crazier mm-hmm. and wild and uh, more technical and skilled than any other musician. It just sounds so, like, passionless. You know, but then, uh, like, I was interviewing the band Direction uh, years ago, and uh, and I'll never forget their answer. And they mentioned that, you know, while, yes, of course, they're inspired by extreme metal, they listen to extreme metal, but they listen to all different genres of music. And I think that's why they really resonated with people because their songs are a lot more versatile. Oh, yeah. I mean, in this, the, I mean, it's like one of my favorite go to stories is I was interviewing Tom Hunting from Exodus. And, um, he was on in the back lounge of the tour bus and the manager, you know, brought me back and was like, okay, Tom's waiting for you in the lounge. Let me go in and check with him. And he's like, okay, you can go on in. And I walked in and Tom holds his hand up and goes, just give me one second. And then he's closing his eyes and he's listening to open arms by journey. And, um, and then after the song's over, he looks at me and he goes, I fucking love journey. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, if every Exodus fan could have seen that moment, like, it probably would have just been like, you know, a wrench in the gears. They would have been like, what? 
Tom Hunting likes uh, Journey. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but he was like, I fucking love oh Journey. Goodness, that is so great. <laughs> oh, it was. I mean, but like, and, and you know, and of course, before we got started, we had that this this very conversation about how, you know, you know, he told me he said I play metal every night for hour and 15 hour and a half a night he was like when i get on the tour bus he goes i don't want, always want to listen to something heavy i want to listen to something melodic or something to bring me down a little bit you know and he was like to, to do metal all the all, you know he goes it's a little much you know and i was like you know kudos to you for admitting it you know <laughs> i mean that's pretty yeah, awesome exactly. you know and, and even after I leave a show, I don't want to listen to death metal. I'm going to put some Fiona Apple on, on in my car. Just exactly the same thing, just to kind of chill out. And, you know, especially if my, if like the sound and the venue is really loud and my ears hurt. Like, I don't want to have to listen to more blast beats. You oh, know? my gosh. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the last time I saw Guar, I listened to Marissa Nadler all the way home, which is just like her and a guitar, you know. And I'm just like, oh right. my god, this is so nice. Yeah, just, okay, I'm still out. It's like the total polar opposite, you know. But it's like you said, you got to have that kind of yin and yang, you know. But um, right. now, so you live in Tampa, right? Yeah. Now, now, are you are you from there originally? Yeah, born and raised. So, I guess my parents had no idea that they, you know, had me in the death metal capital of the world, but <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I'm sure they're thrilled. <laughs> well, so... I, I, I mean, Gavin, I'm from, uh, well, there's another city that's right next to Tampa. It's called St. Petersburg. Yes. And I live in that. Um, I technically live there. I live closer to the beach because there's no death metal here out on the beach. The Tampa, the city, Tampa itself is um, technically about 45 minutes from where. I mean, now now I live in Tampa, Tampa. I, I moved out there to be closer to the metal scene. But mm-hmm. um, before, when I was first going to shows, I'd have to drive every single night 45 minutes. Uh, going out to the actual city itself so i guess i just kind of live in a suburb near the beach but uh still like the tampa area is is why uh, uh, locally is what we call it because tampa is technically a whole bunch of different little suburbs in the area that like i mentioned we have the beach and all that here oh yeah yeah so so like being in tampa obviously that is like you said i mean it's pretty much the the death metal mecca you know now i mean i'm not i'm not a death metal fan i've but like i'm one of those appreciators of it like i can i appreciate the the musicianship and you know the things that kind of envelop that that genre you know i just don't happen to be a fan of it but for as long as i can remember tampa was i mean you know you know suffocation and you know bands like that were coming out of out of that area and so i think like suffocation from new york but uh with tampa it's deicide um deicide that's who i meant i'm sorry not suffocation yeah. that i meant deicide <laughs> i don't know see that's what happens when you talk to someone who doesn't know death metal see i won't even edit that out because i you know i had to stand corrected but deicide was who i was thinking about because that's the guy with the um upside down cross burned into his head yeah 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 glenn benton (laughs) glenn benton there you go see even though i don't know the death metal i'll remember his name but uh so you're kind of like i said you're kind of like born into it so um 
when you started doing you you have your own thing called Infernal TV. Um, yep. Can you kind of talk about that and like tell people what that's about? So, uh, well. I guess so uh, Infernal TV makes sense. Um, I was always very influenced by Headbangers Ball and some of the other older like uh, metal programs that would air on TV. Mm-hmm. And um, Fuse also, when I started getting older, Fuse uh, was big. And Fuse had, um, what was it called, Uranium? And it was like a female host and she'd interview, like, I, I think she... Um, she interviewed like metal bands and stuff mm-hmm. um but so um i was always very influenced by that and i wanted to create something that kind of was similar like a channel that was similar to the old um like those old shows but a little bit more modern and mm-hmm. that's where infernal Heat came up so um um pretty much i try and be as versatile with video as much as possible. I know that there are other um, channels like Metal Injection, you know, um, and um, the others that, you know, they have like a lot of video content and it's very creative, very versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, I focus more on uh, interviews. Interviews are my favorite thing to do, and I'm sure you can agree as well. So if I love... Uh, picking uh, um, an artist's brain and find and really figuring out why exactly they do something a certain way or why they wrote that riff or how they warm up to play drums or you know like little things like that. That's my favorite. Finding out all these all the little tidbits tidbits of information from my favorite artists. That's my favorite thing. Um, and I also, I try to do as much as I can. I try to do uh, video reviews, show reviews, uh, just so I can uh, spice up my content a little bit more. I'm not just, um, uh, and it also gives me a little bit um, more, um, uh, how should I word this? Um, I guess more versatile content. It also helps me to um, improve my video skills because mm-hmm. I'm kind of like editing all of this stuff together because I'm uh, I actually learned video uh, through well technically a website that I was contributing to before I started Infernal TV. But through them is where I learned video stuff. I've, I'm a, a natural writers because uh, that's and even when I started music journalism I was writing for magazines and then I got into video because that's just where the industry is going for you know music journalism is that's why um, and and any visual base you know for social media and all that so I really um, fell in love with video um, through that and um, but yeah so um Yep, that's, I guess that's pretty much how I started Infernal TV. And um, I would like to have a lot more time to upload content more frequently, but I have a, you know, full-time, I'm a full-time freelance writer and all this fun stuff, and I also have books, so not able to contribute as much as I would like to, but um, yeah, so I mainly, that's just why right now I'm just mainly focused on interviewing bands and stuff like that. And it's also, I also cover more extreme death metal just because that's what I love. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so funny because yeah, I've actually watched uh, in, uh, 
a good bit of your shows and stuff and I've really really enjoyed it because like I said or like you said I'm definitely an interview slash writer at heart and I've always been you know and the thing with interviews right. is because I got into it because I got so tired of watching interviews where the first question out of everybody's mouth was like so how's the tour going you know and then I was like oh man you guys, you guys gotta ask better questions than this you know what I mean and so you know and so I just really found myself saying I want to ask the questions that I want to ask and even if nobody hears this at least I got to hear answers to all of my questions and I've always been pleasantly surprised at the reactions that I get when I talk to people and they're like this didn't seem like an interview I'm like well because it really was <laughs> you know because I didn't have a Q&A for you <laughs> you know it's like I just wanted to talk to you you know and but um with that being said with uh, Infernal TV like you said it was more uh, you know you cover more of the death metal and extreme metal do you ever see yourself possibly branching out and maybe like expanding on it as far as going out into genres because I know with my site I started off doing pretty much just metal you know it was just classic it was like classic metal it was you know new wave of traditional metal like that kind of stuff and then I kind of ventured in and kind of started covering some classic rock and then some of some of the even some of the glam bands that i grew up with that i loved and so i found myself kind of expanding on what i started out you know so do you kind of see yourself doing that or do you see yourself being rooted in where you're at i mean i've done that before i've like uh la guns came through last year i covered them i uh, Dirk Schneider came here last year. I interviewed uh, Sven, that's uh, Udo's son. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, I, I've interviewed some power metal bands. Uh, so I definitely, you know, I branch out. Um, but I think the thing with um, Florida scene is that, you know, we get a lot of the extreme metal, the death metal, the tech death, because that's really what does the best here. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's also what I like the most. And um, but I mean, yes, uh, I'm definitely am willing to expand as much as I can. Um, but I'm also looking at my markets and looking through the bands that come here. And um, I, I I don't think I would really expand because I know you mentioned like something like classic rock or glam metal. I probably won't expand much out of there because the thing with Infernal TV is that even though it's not like it's death metal interview TV, it's not like I name my um, website something very niche. But right. and I'm also thinking from the perspective of a publicist who might be looking at my interview. So if I put in to interview like a rapper, they might look into my uh, at my website and be like, um, I don't think you get the viewership that my artist, you know, or you're not, your viewership isn't in the market that my artist is in. So um, I won't be really, I don't think I'm expanding too out. Like, like, like you mentioned, probably the most I would expand out is probably like glam metal, mm-hmm. uh, glam metal even like, not emo, but um, maybe like Remo or maybe um, like a war- like the Warp Tour band. Oh yeah, that was, yeah. 
that'd probably be the most because I've also interviewed Dollskin. You know, I've interviewed uh, like more of along the lines of like modern rock or mm-hmm. um, punk or you know pop punk. So that's probably the most that I would expand because I'm also you know I have to pay attention to my market, my viewers, and if they expect um, you know if I were if they expect Infernal TV to interview suffocation, then, you know, it'll be kind of weird if one of my subscribers, you know, gets a notification, oh, yeah, you interviewed, uh, Infernal TV just interviewed a pop artist, you know, they'll be like, the hell? Why? <laughs> you know? And that's so interesting because when I'm thinking about Infernal TV, it's one of those type of things where kind of like with, with, um, with uh, the Great Southern Brain Fart is that you have to kind of work backwards. Like, you have to work from, okay, if this is the most extreme, what's the farthest I can go back without losing my audience, you know? and right. Which is funny, because I think with my audience, you know, I think, you know, even the most current stuff, a lot of it tends to be, you know, Swedish, Finnish, psych rock, you know, Graveyard, Jess and the Ancient One, stuff like that. And then even even new metal, new wave of metal, you know, like Striker and Holy Grail. So, you know, work even working backwards from there, it's not too far of a shoot for me to go back to bands right. like, you know, like you said, like, I don't know, Tora Tora and Dangerous Toys and bands like that. Because in reality like the bands that influence the 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 newer bands they were more from that era if that makes sense so it all kind of ties together so, but like you said you do have to have that kind of compression where you're like okay i can really only go this far without losing you know the interest of right. my readers you know and um also because uh well with what i do full time as a freelance writer i work on a lot of um, marketing and a lot of search engine optimization and the one thing that you're taught is that you should be in a niche and uh, niches are very important that you know i mean of course it's like for example the blog like it's good to have a general news blog but how many blogs exist in that you know, in that category. Like, um, and, and even something like Vice takes a step further. They have individual websites for each niche and they all perform amazing because, you know, like someone who is a food person and, you know, wants to see all the food content, you know, they're not going to go to uh, generalwebsite.com and expect to find food. They're going to find specific food blogs. And, right. um, yeah, and 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 that and it's important to have a niche for that reason because and um, ex- I think extreme metal fans in particular are very because there's not really many genres of music like extreme metal, so they really gravitate towards um, you know bands in that genre and um, also with the media outlets. Like one of my most viewed interviews, I interviewed uh, Rob Barrett and Alex Marquez for Solstice. And Solstice is, um, you know, one of my favorite bands, a very underrated band, and that's kind of the band that started both Rob and Alex's career. And so, not only speaking with both artists, but also them talking like when they were young kids and kind of messing around, like really, you know, kind of being in a band and all those kind of new to the both of them, and you know, just like hearing all their crazy party stories and everything, and all the. <laughs> All their memories from back during that time and also how um, both you know ended up going into malevolent creation and then rob expanding to cannibal corpse and 
you know, and that was probably one of, you know, still have thousands and thousands of views and um, people comment all the time like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm so glad you got to talk to both Rob and Alex and all this. So, yeah. That's like the grot to me. That's the payoff because there's to me there's nothing cooler than when I post a, an interview that people go, "I'm so glad you talked to so and so," or "What a great!" I'm so glad you asked this question, or like I didn't know about you know. And so to uh, me, that's like the ultimate payoff for me. So so you know what it's like, you know what I mean? Like when you get that 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 kind of. I don't know, like that, that credibility from your readers, you kind of go, wow, okay, now it's worth it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so earlier I mentioned that you're a Renaissance metal woman, of course, and of course it goes because like you, you touched on earlier that you're also a writer. Uh, you just recently put out your first, first book with Dissecting House. Yep. First off, congratulations on that, because that I know yeah. from being a writer myself that that is a grueling task. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, okay. It took me a couple of years. <laughs> so I know from talking to you and from even reading a little bit about you that uh, your father uh, was a very big supporter of you being a writer, and that you dedicated the book to him and. So, what were your early days as a writer? I mean, were you just like short stories, poetry, or something like that? Like, 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 where did your writing background come in? Well, let's put it this way. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned my father because my father uh, was also a writer. And second reason, I'm glad you mentioned him. He would have been 66 tomorrow. So, uh, he passed away 2015. So it's been four years. Um, and I'm going to dedicate all my books to him because he is really, when he discovered my writing talent, he was just so gung-ho, like, you know, um, I'll never forget, I, uh, well, I, I guess to also answer your question about my writing background, uh, yes, so it mainly was short stories. I also was an avid reader. As a kid, I always had a book in my nose um, mm-hmm. constantly. And um, sounds I, like my I, wife. I, That's my, that was how my wife grew. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I always had headphones on my head, listening to music, or a book in my nose, reading. But um, and so naturally, I uh, started writing my own little stories. But then again, I was probably seven years old. My first story was about like a duck or an animal that had no friends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's so cute. Right. Um, so, so yes. Um, and uh, eventually, that gravitated something else that I wrote a lot of uh, was fan fiction, because um, you know I was really big, of course, into reading other books. Um, and also at that time, because this was probably when I was like ten years old, I was a really big wrestling fan, and I wrote my own little fan fiction. Uh, Edge was my favorite wrestler at the time. I just thought he was the hottest guy I'd ever seen. My little Stephanie had this big crush on Edge. He, he's still hot, I have to say. <laughs> <And> anyway, <laughs> so I wrote a little short story about how I met Edge, and I, I, I never met him because I was I wanted to go to uh, uh, the I guess wrestling. I can't remember if it was Raw or whatever, but it came to Tampa, and I wasn't able to go because I was too young, and I cried every single night for like a week and then I wrote a little fan fiction of what would have happened if I went to wrestling and 
uh, in my story, I met Edge, and uh, I wrote the story, and I gave it to my parents, and I was, like, all mad, but kind of, like, me, little rebellious Stephanie, like, writing a little story about how I met my favorite wrestler, and, um, but my dad gets a hold of it, and he was impressed. Uh, he was, I guess, my writing and everything, and so he, apparently, all night, uh, uh, he worked on he actually because I wrote my um, I, I wrote my little edge story like with pen and paper and my little notebook and I like tore out the papers and I kind of like shoved it under their uh, door <laughs> like, <laughs> like f you kind of deal <laughs> and and so my dad spent all night he was and now this is the early days of the internet and of computers so he typed up my whole story uh, and he searched all online for pictures of Edge and he kind of put together like a little book oh. for me. Yeah, and, and he worked on it all night. So the next day I wake up and he gets me this little book and um, so yeah, that's like, I guess a little, that, that was my dad first showing me um, support for my writing and um, until until he died, he was um, very supportive. Gave me a lot of great insight. Um, and actually, one of the reasons I am a freelance writer is because my dad suggested I go this route because he was always a proposal writer. Mm-hmm. And at first, wanting to uh, get into that field, and my dad said, "You know what's really big right now is blogging." He was like, "Just reach out to people, start blogging." Sure enough, I did, and boom. <laughs> and, and and now that's how I make my living. He was right. The so, seed was planted. <laughs> exactly, but yeah. So, um, but yes, that that's how I guess in short, how I got my start from writing about ducks that had no friends and um, writing about Edge, my favorite wrestler, and now I write horror novels. <laughs> now you write a novel about a female serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. which exactly I have to say one of the things I loved so much about dissecting house that I'm still loving obviously cuz I'm halfway through the book that I can't put it down I'm not a I'm generally not a fiction reader at all all I read is biographies and autobiographies about musicians but there was some there's a there's a great flow to the book and one of the things I also loved is that you kept your chapters short which kind of keeps the attention span of someone like me who has ADD you know like I was I was I've been reading this Crosby Stills and Nash autobiography I mean biography and you know, I usually try to read a chapter a night, and the other night I was going, God, when is this chapter going to end? And I kept thumbing through yep. on my Kindle, yep. and I'm like, what? It's got 30 pages left? No, I'm going to bed. But I love the story and the fact that, you know, this isn't something you hear a whole lot about. I mean, we're hearing more about it now with things like Netflix and documentaries, like with Evil Genius. I don't know if you saw that, but that was a, a great documentary of, of a... Um, I, I- I'm going to watch it, so I guess I will have to watch it. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's a great, I mean, it's a great, it's a great show. It was, it was, it was basically about this woman who just masterminded this, 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 like, elaborate scheme to rob a bank, and, you know, she was the mastermind behind it all, and fitted this guy to go in the bank with an explosive collar, I mean, like a collar yeah. that would detonate. I mean, it was, I mean, obviously, it's a, 
a horrible story, but for someone like me who like is slightly fascinated by that stuff, I was like, wow, yeah. what a tough. A <laughs> I mean, but you know what I mean. And what I'm and what I'm getting at is that you know for so long, you know, you know when I was growing up, it was always oh you hear about Richard Ramirez and you hear about you know Ed Gain and all the guys. When you wrote um, Dissecting House, like where did the overall concept come from, and you know, I guess, I guess in so many words, like what was the catalyst behind the the story? Well, uh, the well, the concept. I don't even know how uh, it just appeared to me or it came into my mind somehow, um, and. I guess over a couple of years, it just evolved into the book that it is today. And um, how I, the other reason I had that concept, uh, if you look at a lot of the other horror, you know, whether it's novels, films, whatever, where there's a female killer, uh, it's never, you know, she's never a bloodthirsty killer. It's always um, I like yeah. It's like either a revenge kill. Like think of um, I spit on your grave, or it's like that femme fatale kind of thing. Or she's using her kind of sexual prowess, prowess, like to, a woman scorned kind of thing. You know? Yeah, like uh, you know, I wanted someone who was very bloodthirsty and just a fucked up terrible human being <laughs> um, as every good horror novel should have right you know right and um, the reason that she targets men in particular and that's kind of the other flip side uh, because you know there I can't really think of any horror book movie whatever where only men were the victims um you know i mean of course men get killed you know whatever because i guess there are just some killers out there who are not gender specific you know uh which hey if that's your thing cool but i but my killer decided to be uh where i decided that she were to be gender specific because um and just like you mentioned you know i just kind of flipped the tables and um i think that in uh, a lot of the media Media, whether it's um, the real world media, like on the news and in publications and everything, or in books, like um, you know, other horror novels or films, where it's always the women who are you know particularly being targeted uh, as the victims. And you know, I wanted to flip the tables a little bit, and um, I just kind of diversify the victims a little. It's like, come on, not, not only the girls, come on. Let's just get some dudes up here as well, kind of deal. But um, yeah, and uh, overall, you've never really experienced where it was like the tables are turned. But I also didn't want um, because now we're going through a major feminist movement, and I I would just have a feeling that it would, you know, because even uh, describing the book to a lot of people, they're like, oh yeah, bringing down patriarchy. And it's like, but at the same time, I didn't really want this to be like a feminist book either it's, it's a horror novel and um and if you look into um i mean probably um from what you've read even though yeah there are pieces of shit that mean a kill but you know some <laughs> of them like for example the basketball player the first guy uh she uh that's mentioned in the book he you know he was just a young dude just going to the bar he was wanting to party with his friends he met a hot girl he wanted to get laid you know just like a normal young guy mm-hmm. and you know just and um, 
um, you know, like I wanted, you know, because I, most of my friends are guys and I kind of wanted the, you know, normal good guys also, you know, um, just to, I guess, humanize uh, some of the characters just so they're not like objects, just so they're not like victims, you know, kind of. Um, I don't think, I'm not sure if you've gone to this part, but there's a part where Dr. Luckman actually speaks to the basketball player's parents and to kind of give him a little bit more. Uh, yes, character. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, because I didn't want this, this just to be like, oh, screw men, you know, woman killer, you know, like, like destroy the patriarchy, like the one said. It's like, no, I, I, I didn't want that to be the book. I don't, I don't want be, I don't want me to be somebody that women worship and idolize. You know, the reason I made some men. I don't know if you got to the politician who was cheating on his wife with Mina, and then she killed him. Yes, yes, yes. I did get to that. Thank you. At least you didn't spoil yeah. it for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to give away any like real, real spoilers, but um, you know. But I, I mean, I figured if someone's never read the book, they'll probably expect people to get killed. So that's why I don't really mind talking about the particular kills. Maybe not the way they get killed, right? Right. It comes in, but uh, or all the details and everything. But anyway, so back to uh, the politician, where you know he obviously kind of was a shitty dude, you know, and so she offed him. So it's like you know, and I think that's like a classic thing in horror. Like you know, think of back to like all the slasher films where all the you know kids were partying, they're all stupid and killer awesome. You don't feel bad for them, you know. It's, it's kind of the same thing with this book. Like you don't feel bad for the politician because he's an asshole. But you might feel bad for the basketball player because it's like. He just was a victim of circumstance, and I kind of wanted, and um, um, I, I guess I just kind of wanted a very general um, outlook, and even though, yeah, they're all guys, I didn't want her to target one guy, she was targeting whatever a dude who was just there, and, you know, was dumb and easy, just as Mina, in her words, would put it, and she... <laughs> And, and then she him. So. <laughs> so do you think that in some ways, though, that you would hope that maybe some of the men that read this book would kind of read it with an air of caution and go, OK, you know what? Yeah. I could be a victim. You know what I mean? <laughs> The only reason I'm gonna say yes and no to that to this question, um, because you know, coming from a woman, like we feel victimized and just about every single aspect of our society. You know, whether it's um, rape culture, uh, because I was always one of the girls. I was warned, you know, don't walk around looking slutty or else you'll get raped. You know, I was taught all that propaganda, and um, of course, you know, like you mentioned, some of the serial killers who men who target women and it's really only women who are given don't go into a stranger's car look behind you while you're walking alone don't walk around alone at night or blah 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 whatever and uh, men aren't really given that warning um, or if they are then it's not you know the same like as women are um, and the only reason, so that's why I say, the reason I say yes and no is because, you know, like, do women get raped and murdered and all that? Well, yes, but it's not as common as we think it is. If anything, women are more, you know, likely to get murdered by somebody they know, not just some random guy stalking them, you know, not just walking around to your car, oh, no, they will scare you, you know, that doesn't happen as much as we think it does. Right. And, um, 
So I don't want to give exactly a men an air of caution. But the one thing I've noticed about a lot of guys is that they are, are they a little clueless? Are they a little careless? Oh, yeah. And, you know, beyond just getting you know, murdered by a woman killer, which that probably will never happen. But or so. Never know, say like, never, though, you know? <laughs> like, you I mean, know. you never know, you know? I mean, like, Eileen like Ulm or whatever her name is, you know, she very successfully killed lots of men. <laughs> you know? Because they're like, oh, hey, sure, yeah. I can go in my car all alone cool you know <laughs> so but it's like in that way I just want to give an air of caution but I do know a lot of my guy friends are a little clueless and they just kind of walk around with a lot of money on them and you know all this stuff and it's like you know you can get robbed right like you're walking around in kind of a bad area kind of deal but they're like oh whatever dude it's like come on just feel I'm a careful. metal dude nobody's gonna fuck with me <laughs> you know? actually I'll, I'll never forget one of my uh, ex-boyfriends lived in a pretty bad area he would always like walk to the store or whatever and he was a white guy and living kind of in a bad area and I told him I'm like do you realize you may get robbed or whatever he was like the worst someone uh how did he word it he was like oh yeah the, the worst thing that can happen is some guy will try selling you drugs I'm like dude <laughs> like I, I I mean given he wasn't a rich dude that's why he lived in hood but he would just walk around all by himself. Of course, he wouldn't let me walk around, but he would. And I'm like, dude, you don't think you're going to get robbed? Like, come on. <laughs> think a little bit. And, um, but I guess that's like, I guess, I, I guess the other reason why I made men the victim is more, not like an air of caution, but just more so the disparity. Because if you look at, um, some of these um, guys that you know, murder is just like the you know like go back to that basketball player you know he's I mean is a complete stranger he doesn't know her and he's all drunk and fucked up and he's like oh yeah hop long girl you know yeah I'm, I'm gonna get laid you know I'm a big shot basketball player right but you know do girls think this way? No. They're like, uh, who the fuck are you? Why are you inviting me back to your house? I'm not going to go. I'm not like, what? Like the, but like a guy would go like, back to a girl's house without even batting an eye. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yes. And, and sure enough, he goes back to Mina's house. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Mina goes to his house, and she has all her murder stuff on her, so she kills him right in his own bed. You know? So... You know, it's, um, uh, I, I guess, you know, it's more of a disparity between, you know, men and women's mindset about uh, who to trust and the decisions that we make and everything. And um, it, it is problematic for, in a way, for us to be overly cautious and careful. But it's also problematic to be, you know, overly careless, mm -hmm. you know, and I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to prove with this book. Well, actually, well, there are two um, points that I want to make from what you said. Well, one about how the chapters are short and mm -hmm. how uh, it's more flowy. Um, I guess going back to my background as a blog writer, because I have been trained for years to write for the modern internet audience. And the modern um, modern reader who's on their phone scrolling through a blog, their attention span is shorter than a goldfish. So you have to write very short paragraphs, write very short sentences, and, and all like, it, it's skimming material is um, pretty much how uh, we uh, referred to as in the blogging world is all skimming material. Right. So yeah. 
I and and I think this is um, fiction writing has not caught on that yet because everyone's used to the very long, big paragraphs. Like for example, I'm reading um, uh, Lovecraft now, and I haven't because um, I, I have a couple different anthologies of his work, and I um, purchased one from the local bookstore, and then I locked it. And found it. I was like, "Oh, cool, Lovecraft!" So I've been reading it. And I have not touched the Lovecraft book in years, uh-huh. and so his because uh, I love Lovecraft. He's one of my favorite writers, one of my biggest in- influences. But even reading his book, I'm like, "Oh my god, just get with the program! What the hell?" Oh, like, he. Yeah, Lovecraft and Poe were like my two favorites, you know, and they were both kind of of that similar thing where you're like, oh my god, yeah, it's like, like the like his stories always start out great because it's like I have never experienced such an abominable creature. I'm like, oh cool, what is this abominable creature? I want to learn all about this, and then it's like, and then just cuts down to, oh yeah, so I had a dream and I was walking around and I'm like oh, come on and then it's like at the very end and then you got who the fuck a creature was and everybody but the whole time I'm like oh my god dude come on like come on and I think a lot of writers you know maybe back then that was fine to write like that but now it's like Ugh. so I, well, I think a lot of them back then were jacked on heroin and they were just nodding off and then they wake up and they would just write more you know what I mean so it's probably like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so um, I think the fiction writing world are just so used to overly detailed books like that's where they just have to describe every little detail about a strand of grass. So it's like, you know, I think that um, my blog writing background really um, taught me how important just the actual story is and I uh, Stephen King also uh, he wrote an amazing book called On Writing that yes. one of my creative writing college I was required to read that book and I'll never forget one of his uh, one of the core pieces of advice he gives is uh, write your book and then delete 20% of it because all of that is useless information anything that's useless fluff is what we call it in the blogging world. Anything that's fluffed, get get it out. It's not it's pointless. It weakens your writing. It takes away from your actual message. So you're really only, you know, you only have the core important important details and story. And you know, anybody who picks up Dissecting House, they probably will realize it's a very short book. It's only like 130 pages, 20 chapters. Like you mentioned, chapters are short and. I only uh, included what was important, which was, you know, developing the characterization between Nina and Dr. Luckman, because those are the two really only characters in the book who are the random guys that Nina kills. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think, I honestly think the chapters that are the longest are the ones that really describe Nina's murders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, because that's just, uh, the other thing with my writing is um, along the around the same time I got into metal, I got into horror films. And the first film I watched was House of Thousand Corpses. So, you know, uh, thanks Rob Zombie, you kind of messed me up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> forever. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so, but, you know, I just really gravitated towards the very violent films. And I never really had like experienced that with books like that gory you know um uh i i guess like messed up kind of um you know 
take a film like Cannibal Holocaust and, you know, turn it into a book. I never really had that um, reading experience and horror. So that's why I um, I was like, well, I'll write my books like that. I'll write my books like they're one of the cheesy, gory films that I love. And, um, but I was, um, and of course I was like, okay, so how do I write a book like that? So sure enough, I just, you know, had to go into every single little detail and try and make my readers feel as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> One of the things I loved about the book, obviously, because it says, uh, I mean, the, the, the title of the book is Amina, is it Bassa, Abasi, ba- Bassi? How would you say it? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes, Amina Bassi. Okay, so it's... Uh, a Mina Bassi serial killer novel. So does that kind of hint at the fact that there's going to be, I mean, that there's more to the story? Are there going to be other books what that are going to precede it? What I'm going to tell you is you're going to have to wait and read it um, until the end, and then you can figure out what that means. How about that? Ah, uh, you're such a hard seller on this book. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, so first off, well, so, thank you so much for doing this. Like, I, it's been such an awesome time talking to you. And obviously our first time really talking. It's been cool getting to know you and getting to hear your story, which is one of the things I love the most about this. So, um, yeah, thanks for taking all your time to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I mean, I know I tend to ramble on when I'm interviewed. So <laughs> thank you for listening to me. Girl, if you ever interviewed me, that shit would be like an hour and a half. You'd be like, God, man, I told, I just told that dude about a bridging shit. He keeps going and going. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you on your podcast. This is amazing. Well, I appreciate you you being on here. And so give us some information. Give the, re- the listeners some information. Where they, where they can they find Infernal TV and where can they get um, Dissecting House? Okay, so uh, you can find Infernal TV. It is www.infernaltv.com. That's website, very easy. Um, and uh, there's no underscores or dashes or anything. And Dissecting House, it is currently only available on Amazon. I'm going to work on uh, expanding distribution um, probably next month so you can get it. Uh, different places but right now it's just on Amazon um, but fortunately all you have to do is just go into the search bar and search Dissecting House it is the only results that you will get and it will be my book uh, Dissecting House is available in ebook and in paperback um, I've noticed a lot of people are confused about ebook if you have a tablet even on your phone you can just download Amazon or the Kindle app and it connects to um, uh, to the um, to the Amazon ebook, but if you do prefer holding a physical book in your hand, then yes, you can get um, dissecting house and paperback as well. Yeah, old guy like me, my eyes. I mean, I'm already on my second pair of bifocals, so the Kindle has been a, a, a you know a godsend if there's such a thing you know, to oh me. My <laughs> yes, and also you um um. Uh, alter, you know, you can make the font bigger, you can mess around with the brightness, uh, or at least because I have, I read books on my iPad and I have the Kindle app. So that's why I tell people if you have a tablet, if you have smartphones, even your laptop, just download the Kindle app and then you, you, you can access ebooks from there. 
Oh, and I love physical books myself. And like I said, I'm definitely going to get one because I want you to sign it for me. So... I, you know, I will. <laughs> well, Stephanie, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a blast talking to you. And um, good luck with the book and with Infernal TV. And I know this isn't the last we'll hear from you. Awesome. Well, yeah, I was going to say, please expect to hear more from me. Please expect more books, more badass metal interviews. And thank you again for having me on the show. This was so much fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. And look, you have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. Are you?